0: All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like the Christian life, uh, whenever I come to church or whenever I'm trying to, you know, do my devotions or whatever it might be, it sometimes it, it feels as if nothing's happening, right? And And maybe that's what you feel like. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're a Christian who is trying to take your faith more seriously. Or maybe you're not a believer and you're wondering, is anything happening by coming Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday night after Wednesday night? But see, the Christian life is a lot like uh, planting and uh, uh, seeing plants and trees grow. Far more happens underneath the surface. Then we can see. Often what the Lord is doing in our lives is that he's growing us deep before we bear the fruit that we wish to see. And so let me encourage you that even as yet again the word is proclaimed tonight, know for a fact that God is at work. Romans 6, 12 through 23. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your, present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under law, but under grace? By no means. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another night where you are able to speak your life giving words to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that in your word is the word who is revealed to us. He who is God in our flesh. He who came to redeem us. And it is He and the life that we can have in Him, Father, that we're seeking to learn about tonight. Yet we know even as we seek to learn about that, we know you are more eager to teach us. So would you help us to listen? Would you help us to see your heart? Would you help us to understand the life that you're enabling us to live? We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I think I've seen maybe the world's greatest Simon Says uh, leader or Simon Says host or whatever it is. Have any of you ever been to the RYM summer youth camps? Has anyone ever been there? Okay. Wow. Okay. Two people. Okay. I don't know if y'all remember this, but there was one guy named Robbie who he would get up there and he would lead everyone through Simon Says. And let me tell you, if, uh, have you seen it, Peyton? I Maybe, but y'all, I'm telling you, this is the best guy I've ever seen in my life. He's so quick and it's just flying at you. And he knows exactly when to say Simon Says and then the command or just the command. He's brilliant. He can end an entire game of 500 people in about two minutes. It's amazing. But is not kind of what life feels like at times it feels like that just barrage of like commands of like do this be more make sure don't forget this next week all these commands they're just flying at you and you're wondering how long you'll keep it up until you get out am i right you see life feels like this All the time, every single day, we're being told, be this, do more, achieve that, find your own worth, and you better do it right, or else eventually you'll be out. Isn't that exhausting? But here's what the gospel says instead. It doesn't say, be this, and then you will achieve. Rather, it says, the gospel says, it is done, now you can live. Really what the gospel is all about is saying, be who you are in Christ. To live the Christian life, God is not telling you to do something that you don't have the power to do. But because of your union with Christ, now his power is in you. And so God is telling you, be who you are. That's what's amazing. The gospel is not, you better obey, then you'll get your identity. The gospel says this, this is your identity. Now live in light of it. Does that make sense? That's what this text is all about. If we could say what Christian Living 101 is, it's simply that. Be who you are in Christ. Go back to verse 12. Picking up from last week. Really, in verse 11, where it said, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You see, if being a Christian means living out who you already are, then you need to understand first, who are you? Who are we? We are alive to God. So live your life for him. You are alive to God, so live your life for Him. That's what this first part of the text is saying. Remember in chapter 5, we saw how there's really, there's, there's the first Adam, and just in Him, it's just sin, death, judgment, and condemnation. It's just bad news. But then, there's Jesus. And in Him, is grace, and life, justification, and obedience. We saw last week in chapter 6 what it means to be united to Jesus, meaning that now because he died, we also died to sin. But then also we saw that because he rose from the dead, we rose with him. So Paul's building on that argument saying, look, you're dead to sin and now in Christ you're alive to God. You don't make that true. It is true if you're a believer just learn to live in light of it that's what paul's saying what's really important here is that when paul says let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body we always have to remember this i know sometimes we can take bible verses and i I think this can be great in many ways we can take bible verses and we print them out and we tape them onto our bathroom mirror or maybe you know we put them in some places in our car wherever it might be to remind us of certain truths that's great but if you're not careful, you can often put Bible verses that are only commands, and you forget the power that you have to obey that command. What we like to say is that you need to understand what indicatives are and what imperatives are. An indicative is a statement. Uh, this shirt is gray. An imperative is saying, go and buy a gray shirt, right? Right? Indicatives, uh, imperatives. There are, it's either good news, something that is a fact, or it's law saying, do this. Now that's very important. Because remember, if we go back to thinking about Adam and Jesus, before we were believers, when we were in Adam, God said this if you want eternal life, you must obey. Do this. And then you will live. What do you think it says about when we're united to Jesus? It says this. He has done it for you. Now live in light of that. That's good news. It's not saying earn. It's not even saying keep. It's saying embrace and live in light of that. Does that make sense? That's what we need to understand about the gospel. The gospel is like the gas that runs the car. Cars, gas cars, I mean we have Teslas now and all that stuff. But gas cars, they won't go without gas. But that's also a good analogy because just like you have to regularly fill up your car with gas, so you need to regularly pour the gospel into your soul if you're you're going to live out the Christian life, right? Paul says... Because of what's true about you, don't let sin reign. It's interesting when he says reign, it's a word that's, it's a, the, the picture of a kingdom. With a king who, who reigns, who rules over your realm. Paul is saying, because you are in Jesus, don't live like sin is still your master jesus is it's very interesting as i was studying this word that it gives the picture of what sin is doing here is that it's not reigning like a good king it's sin is tyrannical sin is a tyranny to us and also this our sin is tyrannical towards other people my sin hurts me but my sin also hurts Aiden His sin hurts himself, but his sin also hurts me. I am simultaneously, always, sinner and sufferer, never either or. Sin is a tyrant. Now, remember, Paul's not saying this. He's not saying, you're still in the kingdom of sin, so you need to live a good life to free yourself. He's not saying that. He's saying, you are free. Live like you're free. What Paul's wanting us to see is that the reality of our union with Christ, it means that sin is no longer the tyrannical king over us. We have a new king. But we do have to ask the question, what does it look like for sin to continue to reign and to tyrannize us? Well, Ephesians 2 talks about how Before Christ, we would often just obey any desire and any passion that we have. Any urge or any temptation or any lust, we we would obey that. And even as Christians, you can at times keep indulging in those lusts and you live like you're not a believer anymore, even though you are. Right? Right? But Paul is saying, look, live who you are. We often can let sin reign whenever we feel like we have to answer yes to every single temptation. When sin becomes our primary sphere of influence. It's just, that's the community we always hang around. That's the words we we fill ourselves with or the words we're constantly saying. It's the images that we're looking at. Paul's saying, don't let those things reign rather submit to christ paul's telling us that rather than filling ourselves up on spiritual junk food he's saying fill yourself up on healthy food this could not be a bigger theme in our household right now with our kids um particularly i won't name his name uh but the one who is older and it is, I, I mean, it gives me bad deja vu from when I was little and just the constant theme of like, you know, don't fill yourself up on junk food, but junk food tasted so good in the moment, didn't it? But was it good for you? No. That's, that's kind of the hard thing about a diet nowadays. A diet's hard because you know what's good, but it's so tempting just to have some of those easy foods that you can... You snack on here and there. Paul's saying, look, sin is spiritual junk food. Don't fill yourself up on that because it will only destroy you. Paul says that what sin can do is that it can tempt us to think that we have to obey its passions. This word for uh, passion is uh, lust. It literally means an epic desire. It's really cool. See, that's exactly what lust is. It's desiring something so epically that it's unhealthy, right? Sex is a good thing that God created, but desiring it too much or out of the context for which God created it is a bad thing it is sin it is a lust we could say the same thing about greed and over desire for a particular thing or we could say the same thing about gluttony we could even say the same thing about just relational apathy because we we could care less for the other person because we care about ourselves too much we often see impatience uh arising in our lives because we Basically, lust after life being all about us. We want people to be on our schedule. We can often see division be a result of our lust because we so over-desire what we opinion, what, what, what we think. And if you don't agree with me, then I'm canceling you. There's so many things that our lust do they're over desires and sin is always trying to get us to think you must obey this or else Paul is saying this don 't do that that 's not who you are be who you are in Christ present your members to God when he says to present he means to to stand beside someone it was actually the the picture of David when, when Saul was king, that David would make himself at Saul's disposal and he would say, he would say I will do the commands that you give me. When, I, when Paul's saying, don't present yourself to sin, in other words, don't act like sin is your king. That you must obey king sin because it's not your king anymore. Does that make sense? Rather... Present yourself to God. Here's what he says in verse 13 do not present yourselves, or excuse me, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That word for instruments, very interestingly, is literally the word that means weapons. Isn't that interesting? In, in kingdom language, where kingdoms had armies, Paul is saying, You used to be in the kingdom of darkness. Now you're in the kingdom of heaven. But don't go back and join that army. Don't go back and live like that's a better and stronger army than this one. That's what we do when we give ourselves to sin. Paul is saying rather because we're alive to God, we need to present our members to God. What does he mean by Members. Does he mean church members? No. Here, here, here's what he means. He means, talking about in the context of our bodies, he means our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our thoughts, whatever it might be. Just the things about our life. Paul's saying, don't keep giving your eyes over to looking at sin. Don't keep giving your ears over to constantly listening about Sin and indulging those things, your your thought life. Here's what Paul might be telling us today. Here's how we could apply this truth today. Don't entertain sin with your hands, feet, eyes, etc. Don't continue, because you're a believer, don't continue to look at pornography. Don't continue to listen to the same songs that only tempt you to lust. Don't continue to, to watch the same shows that tempt you to lust. Don't keep sleeping in the same bed as your boyfriend or girlfriend, especially if you've already had sex before. Don't keep alcohol in the fridge if you're under 21. Or don't keep alcohol in your fridge if you tend to only drink to the point of drunkenness. Don't keep going out to the bars on the weekend if you can't control your impulses. Impulses. Don't keep watching the news if it only makes you angry towards others. Don't keep scrolling on Amazon if you're greedy and coveting the next purchase. Don't keep absorbing yourself with social media if you're being judgmental. Don't keep obsessing over that one moment if you're fostering bitterness in your heart. Don't keep opening your mouth if you're gossiping. Don't keep opening your mouth if you're grumbling. Don't keep opening your mouth if you're telling crude jokes just to be funny. Paul's saying... Don't present yourselves to sin as if you should be obeying all of its demands. Now, remember this. The gospel is not saying, okay, Jesus saved you. Now it's your effort. That's not the gospel. Remember, the power for living this life is because of union with Jesus. You and I, we can't do it on our own. But over time... We see this working out in our lives more and more because of the power of Jesus in us. Amen? I had a student where I saw this incredibly happen at one point. I was counseling this student for months. And this particular person was really struggling with self-harm. And one day they came into my office and I I I wasn't sure what progress we were making. And finally they came in with a giant uh, Ziploc bag of razor blades. And they just came in and they handed it to me. Because they understood that if I keep presenting myself to this, it's only going to destroy me. That was a magnificent sign of her repentance. You want to know how we ended up getting there? By constantly coming back to who she was in Jesus Christ. That's it. But Paul's saying positively present yourself to God. In other words, give your whole body and soul to God. Keep partaking in the means of grace. Keep surrounding yourself with Christian community. Keep being watchful over your own heart against temptation. Keep striving to fight against your sin and to put it to death. Keep meeting with other people to talk about how the gospel actually applies to your life keep keep telling others about Jesus keep up a habit of prayer keep coming to church keep honoring God in all the areas of your life strive your, the best you can to keep your thoughts pure and holy and keep honest and vulnerable conversations with other Christians about how your life is really going there's the negative and the positive side remember that junk food that analogy don't just take in junk food Fill yourself up with good things. Why? Because it's, it's who you are. You are alive to God. So live like it. Look at verses 15 all the way through 19. Not only are we alive to God, but we're also free. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves as to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul was saying earlier, Look, you are alive to God, so live your life for God. Now he's saying you are free. So live in freedom and insert all the brave heart quotes you want. Imagine, though, if you did this. Imagine. If you go back to the 19th century and you looked at an African-American person who was enslaved and you said, free yourself. Could you imagine how offensive that would be? Work harder and free yourself. That's crazy. That would be so insensitive. God is not doing that to us. What God is saying, he's saying, I have freed you. Now learn to live in light of that. Now that's actually very important because if you take that same example, one of the things is that whenever there was the great emancipation is that slaves had to learn over time to know what their reality was. It was true. There was a definitive point. It's true. They were free and they had to learn to live in light of that freedom. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is telling us. The gospel sets us free. We don't have to live a life to free ourselves. We, we are free if we're a believer. Paul's saying, because of that, present yourselves to God as obedient. He said in earlier in Romans 1, verse 5 that his whole ministry was to bring about the obedience of faith rather than the obedience of sin. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Paul says he takes every thought captive to obey Christ. Notice that obedience for Paul started in the thought life. That's a huge part of Romans 6. You're going to have a really hard time living the Christian life if you continually forget who you are. Paul is constantly telling us, go back to see who you are in Christ. Go back to looking at Him because when you see Him, you see who you're supposed to be. You see the power that's going to make you who you are, right? He says we are free, so therefore we should realize we are free from obedience to sin. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What happened on the cross is very important for us to understand. When Jesus died for our sins, what happened? He broke the power of sin. But he also Absorbed the penalty of sin. He broke the power and he absorbed the penalty. So now, if you're a Christian, sin is not the most powerful thing in your life. And also, there is no more penalty upon you for your sin. Amen? But here's a question Do Christians still sin? Yeah, he's literally going to talk about that in the next chapter. Chapter 7 is all about the struggle of saying, I I want to live in light of my union with Christ. But it's hard. What Paul is saying here is that we have to, we'll never be perfect in this life, but we have to learn to think about ourselves as being free from sin. I love what one counselor, Esther Smith, says, One reason we need to always be thinking about the full story, uh, the full identity, as it were, in our lives is because we sometimes begin to think that half of the truth is the whole truth. Asking ourselves, is this thought complete that often leads us to remember or observe thoughts we had forgotten or downplayed that are actually relevant to the situation? I've actually used that many times actually in counseling because one of the things that I can, I can see people doing is that they think that sin is the end of their story. Don't worry. It's not a mass side to this. Uh, they're going to softball. We'll be there in a second. Love you guys. Um, one of the things that's, that sin really tempts us to do is to think, that's it. That's my life. That's my story. But she, what Esther Smith is telling us, she's saying – You have to remember the complete truth. You are free. Now, in our day and age, that's hugely important. Because we're seeing people define themselves by their sin. They're saying, I am this. It's one thing to say, I struggle with this. Or, that this is certainly, it's appeared in my life it might even be very present in your life but if you're a believer your fundamental identity is in jesus christ amen don't tell yourself the wrong narrative but we're also free not just from sin but for god when paul's saying that we present ourselves to god He's saying that true Christianity, it's not just a season of life. It's not just a fad. Now, yes, there will be times that it seems like you're following the Lord more than other times. That's true. That's very much normal Christianity. But true Christianity is never just a fad. It's never just I walked down the aisle one time and prayed a prayer and received a card. And then therefore I'm a Christian, so I just go and live however I want that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is learning more and more to present yourself to God in obedience. Because Jesus lives in you, his life will be reflected through you. That's what the Bible is telling us here. What does Paul mean when he says, We've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What does he mean by that? What he's saying here is this is that actually, whenever the gospel is faithfully preached and taught to you, if this is actually a promise here. It means you will grow. Is that not amazing? That gets back to way at the beginning when I was saying, Do you ever feel like you're just not growing in the Christian life? You just come Wednesday after Wednesday, Sunday after Sunday, and you just don't know if anything's happening. You're not getting anything out of it. If you're united to Jesus, the more you soak in the means of grace, you are growing. Amen? You are growing. It's the gospel of grace that grows us. That's God's power. Now that makes us ask some questions. The ministries that we're going to, the ministries and churches that we're committing ourselves to, are they preaching and proclaiming the gospel of grace or a system of works? Are we soaking in the riches of Jesus Christ or are we primarily focused on what we need to do? That's why the number one mark of a church is the preaching of the word and if it's faithful to the gospel. That's why it's huge. Because we're free, Paul's saying, don't live lawlessly. You see that in verse 19. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Because you're free, don't live lawlessly. What does that mean? Well, obviously, lawless means to live without the law. It means to reject God's commandments because you just want to live however you want. It's the idea of this. I grew up in the church, and I went to a Christian school, and I soaked in a lot of teaching, but now I'm in college, and I want to live my own life. Or it's the idea of, you know, last year I, I really... I really got a hold of this whole Christian thing, but now I'm 21. And now it's just, it's just time to turn up, frankly, if I can say that. There you go. There's my awkward dad moment. But isn't that the reality of actually what's happening to a lot of us? Is that we think that I can just go and live however I want, but there's a problem because the more lawless we live, it breeds more lawlessness. Sin gives birth to more sin. It's like dandelions. If you don't pluck them up, when the wind blows, it will make more dandelions appear. The Christian life is very much like walking through the woods. It's very hard to make a new path in the woods, right? Right? Takes a lot of, especially if maybe you're trying to set up a, a new deer stand and you're trying to make a path where you can, you can plow the field and you can make sure there's a good path for, you know, for the four-wheeler to get to a certain spot and then a path for you to walk to the deer stand. If it's never been touched before, that's really difficult to get a hold of. So what do you do? Slowly but surely, you just keep going down that same path just keep chopping down branches you just keep mowing that grass there more and more you just keep going down that same path you see this is why if we can go back to that same example about weeds that's what the christian life is like it's like picking weeds they're gonna grow but we just keep picking them but here's the thing maybe some of you've been in my house and you know what it can look like at times if you don't pick the weeds in a while It's going to be really hard to get up and pick the weeds, right? And eventually, you're just going to have to hire someone and say, please come pick the weeds for us. But rather, the more you present yourself to God, the easier it is to present yourself to God. That's what Paul's saying. It does make us take a quick aside to think about how do we even fight sin? Here's what you don't do if you want to fight sin. You don't think, man, you're telling me that I have to stop sinning this sin for the rest of my life. That's another, I don't know, what, pick your your range. Was it 60 years? I think the older I get, I'm like, my mortality is getting sooner and sooner. Um, But that's very intimidating, isn't it, to think, you tell me I have to do this for another 60 years? God did not have us live the Christian life that way. When the Israelites were in the wilderness and they had no food, God rained down manna to them. But how often did he do it? He did it day by day. Isn't that why Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, isn't that why he says, Lord, give us this bread, our daily bread. Daily The Christian life is meant to be lived daily. Each day you are looking to God saying, please keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. That's not a, I prayed that once and I'm good to go. Satan has you right where he wants you, if that's your mindset. But rather growing in dependence more and more each day is learning to fight sin learning to fight against pornography you have to think about this how did you get into your addiction to pornography you got to your addiction one day at a time how are you gonna fight against it one day at a time fighting the sin of gluttony fighting the sin of just being a harsh person or Being a gossiping person or even one that we very often forget, how about the addiction to technology? Which is an addiction, which is something that is commanding us, telling us, demanding us, present yourself to me every day. How do you fight against this? Keep walking down the path. You keep presenting yourself to the Lord. You fill yourself up on good food, not junk food. What Paul's telling us here, the Christian life or Christian living 101, is be who you are. And if you're a believer, you are alive. You are free. But also this, you are righteous. Look at verse 20. But when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying that when we were without Jesus, we were free in regard to righteousness, which implies that now that we're in Jesus, we are righteous. The Christian life is not trying to do something totally different. When God justifies you and he says, you are righteous. Now you live in light of that. The same Jesus who justifies you is the same Jesus who sanctifies you. What God's doing, it's almost like this. Y'all remember that illustration a couple weeks ago when I talked about the Auburn football player whose jersey was massive that I got to wear at school that one day. The Christian life is like this. It's like when you put on that jersey and slowly but surely, day after day, you grow up to actually live like that. Except I'll never be a defensive lineman. Um, But you get what I'm saying. That's what's happening in our life because we are righteous now, God is working righteousness in us. Paul says, you see, in verse 21, sin, we're now learning to be more and more ashamed of it because it just leads to death. That's what God told Adam in Genesis 2, 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In the Hebrew, it literally says you shall surely die die. Genesis 3.19, uh, when God's pronouncing the curse against Adam, he says, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sin kills us. In the very beginning, it killed us spiritually. And now it's the ripple effect into every area, every facet of our life that ends in the grave. Which really, actually, let me take that back. It doesn't end in the grave, but the grave sends you to the afterlife where it ends in eternal damnation. That's what sin does. And so the Christian life is actually realizing that, man, my sin leads to that. And so I actually, over time, I grow to be more and more ashamed of my sin. Now, now we have to distinguish this. There is godly shame and there's ungodly shame. Godly shame is good. Godly shame is whenever we see our sin and we don't like it, but we run to Jesus with it. Ungodly shame is whenever we see our sin and we don't like it, but we just say, woe is me. I can't do anything about this. I can never be clean. But godly shame is actually seeing your sin and saying, Lord, I hate this. Would you cleanse me? And he says, yes. Yes. See, we can see that sin leads to death. I've seen, and I mean, I'm only 32. I've seen numerous marriages where lust will kill the marriage. I've seen numerous marriages where there were affairs that happened in the first year of marriage. I've seen drunkenness that kills marriages, that kills parenting, that kills jobs and friendships. Gossip that kills relationships. Laziness that... Destroys productivity and friendship, technology addiction that kills our ability to have an honest conversation with people. Let me encourage you, if you're going to go to the softball game tonight, do this. Take a pause and look around and see how many people are on their phone and just not talking to each other. Or go to the cafeteria tomorrow, and when you go there, you see a group of people, watch them all sit there on their phones and they're not talking to each other. Do you think that's healthy for us? And no wonder we feel so lonely, like no one knows us, because we're absorbed in this. God did not make us for that. He made us to be in relationship. You see, that we see how even sinful anxiety can cripple us from actually reaching out and being with other people and trying certain things. And we certainly see how unbiblical sexual identity not only kills us, but... It kills us relationally with others, and even to the point where it gets militant. Sin leads to death. And we're learning to, to realize, I don't like that as much as I used to. I bet you some of you have seen that in your life, that there was a pattern of sin that's been there. And now the more you're following Jesus, you're realizing that's not satisfying as much as it used to. That's a good sign. But rather, because you're righteous, the fruit you have leads to eternal life. That's what Paul's saying here, is that now because of the free gift of Christ, as we work out our salvation, God is working in us, and he will one day bring us to the place where there will be no, no more sin. Amen? I'll leave you with this. When I was recovering from Guillain-Barre, I had to learn again how to use my legs and my hands and my fingers and my toes. I had no ability to write at one point, and they told me that it would be almost like a two-year recovery. And from formally being a professional football player to then literally standing with one RUS student, I could hardly just heave a football from me to the stool where he was but then whenever I was healing I had to learn to work those things out and it's still taking time but you know what the doctor said keep doing it keep working out keep writing, typing, running, walking whatever it is and you will heal that's the Christian life It is hard. But keep walking down the path. Keep presenting yourself to God. Because it will end in eternal life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would let your word sink into the depths of our hearts and that it would sink these roots of our hearts into just the good soil that you've provided for us that we might bear fruit. Lord, I'm not sure where Many of us are tonight and the things we're struggling with, but we, we know that this is a timeless truth. And so would you counsel us with this? Would you cause us to be born again? Would you give us hope? Would you show us Jesus? And it's in all, his, all of this, we pray in his name. Amen.